Of, so about 140 of our folks are, are there worshiping, and uh, we've had a great family camp starting with Friday, late Friday afternoon, early Friday evening, on through to uh, today at uh, at uh, lunchtime. Uh, one, one of the more and, and Tony Souter has been our speaker. He's just been great. He's been speaking about legacy. Uh, what legacy are you leaving? And um, and we had seven people baptized uh, in the lake yesterday, uh, there at the at the dock uh, and the swimming area. And that was just uh, a lot of fun. And every person uh, who was baptized was a person that I had the privilege of dedicating here. So it's, it's just fun uh, to see what, what God has done. It's just uh, an amazing blessing. Of course, one of, the, one of the most meaningful moments for me was when one of the men of the church came up to me and looked at me up and down and said, uh, so now we know why you don't wear shorts. Yeah, it was, it was funny. <laughs> we had a lot of, a lot of fun, a lot of teasing, a lot of good times. Um, rather than continue our series in Romans this morning, uh, I am going to uh, uh, pause in that series, and uh, we'll resume that when the church is back next week. Uh, I'm sorry, you are the church too. When the rest of the church is back next week. We'll resume Romans, but uh, what I want to do is to pause and reflect on a verse in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, (laughs) I can't get away from it, in Daniel chapter 3 that has been on my mind. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Daniel chapter 3, and I'm going to explain why, in a moment, why that verse has been in my thinking. So Daniel chapter 3, and while you are turning there, I'm going to begin reading from the book of Romans, chapter 1. And I'm just going to, don't, don't turn there, just go to Daniel 3. But listen to these few verses from Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Daniel chapter 3, starting with verse 1. We'll read the chapter. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. The height of which was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, and governors, and counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, all the rulers of the provinces, to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And you'll hear that there's a lot of repetition in this chapter because he wants to make sure you get what's going on. Verse 3, then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, all kinds of music, you were to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship the worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. So he's re-quoting the king's own words back to him. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. That's the first charge. Second, they do not serve your gods. Or third, they do not worship the golden image which you have set up. The second and third charges are true. They weren't disrespecting the king, though. So verse 13 continues, Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These, then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... At the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And then he adds this, and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and that he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, we know. But even if he does not, that is, out of the furnace, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, the, in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, 
because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast into the midst of the, of the fire? We cast bound in the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, Certainly, O king. And by the way, it's very wise to agree with this king, they found out. So, so whatever you say. He said, look, I see four men loosed, not bound, loosed and walking around in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, come out, you servants of the most high God and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of the fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I will make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap inasmuch as there is no other god who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing and the application of his word. Here's the background of what's going on in Daniel chapter 3. Ancient Near Eastern kings would make images of themselves. And they would erect those images at different parts of boundaries of their kingdom. Now this is more than that. But this is what's behind the idea of it. But God has created us in his what? Image. We are image. And just as the images of those kings would represent that king and the boundaries of that king. So God has created us in his image to represent him and to say that this whole earth is his. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And we belong to him. And he demands that other men bow before his own image. Now, this is in, in, in uh, uh, Daniel chapter 3. I'm sorry. And in the New Testament, Christ's image is to be formed in us. So that we look more and more like Jesus Christ. Transformed into the image of his son, the New Testament says. So what we have here in Daniel chapter 3 is King Nebuchadnezzar making an image of himself, demanding that other men worship that image. And this is the most blatant example of what Romans chapter 1 envisions. 
But the idea of people setting up images and setting up other things to worship is not a new idea at all. And at a deeper level, many cultural gods demand that we bow before them. And we've got all kinds of voices that speak to us that ask for our allegiance in these days, whether it's the voice of the stock market or technology or the latest entertainment icon or, or the, the voice of, of pornography or the voice of uh, what or the voice of some addictive source in your life, whatever it is, whatever latest trendy cause there may be, whether at a literal or a symbolic level, we are to have no other gods before the king of kings. Now, here's why Daniel three has been in my mind. Uh, This past week, um, I and uh, Frank Brock, a former president of Covenant College, and Kathy Scott, the president of Bible in the schools, were interviewed by uh, a journalist from the Christian Science Monitor um, about the uh, Bible in the Schools program. Uh, I serve on their board. And um, that sort of thing always is hard for me. Uh, in an interview situation, um, because I'm always concerned that unmeasured words will have consequences for people beyond me. You know what I mean? Um, so you have to be really careful with the with the words because they're doing this cover story for for the uh, their their publication. Seventy percent of uh, Hamilton County students now have access to taking a Bible history course uh, in the public schools. We have 23 schools that, that offer that in the public schools. And it's uh, unique among all the counties, among all the states in the United States. So, and, and it's here uh, in Hamilton County in Chattanooga. So we, we want to be very, very careful about that. And one of the points that we were making with this journalist, um, one of the points we were making was is that uh, knowledge of the Bible contributes to literacy. He wasn't really that concerned about the spiritual aspect, of it, but knowledge of the Bible contributes to literacy. Okay, all right, we got it. Vocabulary, reading comprehension, uh, literature. I don't know if you noticed this past week in the Ham- in the newspaper the rather discouraging report card that Hamilton County Schools received. Um. Uh, doing not really very well in almost any category except literacy. Except literacy, where we scored the highest score across the board. Now, there are three common literary references in the book of Daniel. Have you ever heard someone say that someone has feet of clay or they have feet of clay? Well, that's a reference to the image in Daniel chapter 2 where um, the uh, uh, large, where there was a huge statue that had feet of clay and a large stone strikes the clay feet and the image collapses and breaks into pieces. Feet of clay, old phrase from Daniel chapter 2. Have you ever heard somebody somebody say, well, the handwriting's on the wall? Daniel chapter 5, the disembodied hand appeared and wrote judgment upon uh, Belshazzar, the the, uh, king. Uh, who died that very night. But another cultural moment is more subtle, and I think it's more powerful, and it's Daniel chapter 3. And this is, that's, this is why this was on my mind. It's why my thoughts went here, to, t- to study this together this morning. Daniel chapter 3, verse 18. It's the three-word phrase, but if not. 
but if not. Now, translators have add, added others, other words, but even if he does not. But the phrase reads, but if not. Currently, the movie Dunkirk is popular at the box office. I haven't seen it. Trailer looks good. But the actual events of Dunkirk were astonishing. In May of 1940, uh, Germany advanced into France and they trapped Allied troops on the beaches of Dunkirk. Over 350,000 soldiers were lined up to be massacred by the German troops. And uh, the people of Great Britain rallied and they used everything that would float, including civilian, yeah, civilian boats, whatever would, would, would stay afloat in the water, to evacuate almost 350,000 troops off of those beaches. But before that amazing, brave action took place, a naval officer sent the message to Allies, Allied headquarters with three words. But if not. That was his message. Quotation from Daniel 3.18. Those three little words, what he was saying was, we're trapped. The situation is desperate. It would take a miracle to save us. But we're determined not to give in. And those three words communicated all of that. And here's the thing. The people of Great Britain, there was enough of a cultural literacy, enough of a common knowledge of the Bible that they knew what was meant by those three words, and they took action. But if not. Those are powerful words. And I've been thinking about those words for a couple of weeks. Um, as I thought about today, in, in, in verses 1 through 7, Nebuchadnezzar makes this image of himself and demands the kind of worship that is to be rendered only to the one true God. Now, exactly when did this take place? It's helpful to think about that. Because Daniel chapters 1 and 2 took place early in Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the very beginning of his reign. That's Daniel chapters 1 and 2. Both of those took place early in his reign. Daniel chapter 4 took place at the very end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And he reigned for 44 years. So 1 and 2 take place at the very beginning. Daniel 4 takes place about 44 years later. Daniel chapter 3. When did that happen? We don't know for sure. Somewhere in between that span of 40 years, this image was erected. And I'm going to suggest to you what I think makes the most sense. In 586 B.C., 20 years after the first deportation of Daniel and his three friends into Babylon, 20 years after that, 20 years later, Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, what would that mean to Nebuchadnezzar when he finally conquered Jerusalem? I think... What Nebuchadnezzar had suspected for the previous 20 years was that the God of the Jews was more powerful than his own gods, was greater than his own Babylonian gods. But you know what? We just conquered the God of the Jews 20 years later. So now, I believe at this point, he erects 
this statue and and uh, uh, gives this statement in Daniel chapter in Daniel chapter two, verse thirty nine. The statement was given after you shall rise another kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, after you, Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be another kingdom, another dynasty after you. Yours, your dynasty is not going to continue. So I think what is happening now that he's destroyed Jerusalem, the God who said that no longer has authority over his life as far as he is concerned. So what he does is he erects this image that is a declaration that no kingdom will ever topple his kingdom. In the image in Daniel chapter 2, the statue that had the feet of clay, there were multiple metals in the various parts of that statue, and the top was the head of gold. That was to represent that represented Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. That was just the head of gold. But you know what? It was the smallest part of the body. Just a little head of gold. And in the image in Daniel chapter 3, the entire statue is gold plated. The whole thing is made of gold. Because Nebuchadnezzar is saying, no, my kingdom has no feet of clay. My kingdom is here to stay. And I am greater than the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, than the God of Daniel. So uh, I, th I think that that is what is going on. I I'm pretty sure that if you were to discern any features on this statue in Daniel chapter 3, you'd find it resembled King Nebuchadnezzar quite a bit. So um, what he is doing is he's trying to rewrite history. As the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Daniel, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as the, the true God of heaven has revealed history that is about to take place in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, no, no, I'm the one who's in charge here. I'm the king. I am the king of kings. So, uh, by the way, he wants to rule the world. And this ego problem of Nebuchadnezzar is going, to, is going to be dealt with very explicitly in chapter 4 of Daniel. But we're not going there today. We're just looking at this chapter. So there is this statue that's being unveiled. Who's on the invitation list to, uh, to have the unveiling? Well, pretty much everybody that's on the government payroll. Uh, everybody is decked out in their most festive robes. We'd say they've got their... their tuxedos on and their loveliest dresses on whatever they have and the orchestra includes instruments from around the world and that's why all of them this is kind of a one world event because he plans to rule the world so he's got these instruments from all over the world playing uh for this music for for the people to bow down before him notice who wasn't on the invitation list Where's Daniel? That's a natural question to ask, isn't it? Well, I've got an answer for you. We don't know. My guess is that Nebuchadnezzar knew, uh, uh, I mean, he worked with Daniel for 20 years, and that Daniel was the leader of the other three, and he, my guess is he got Daniel out of the way, maybe sent him on a mission somewhere because of what he was about to do. Whatever the reason or wherever Daniel was, the image was unveiled and it was impressive. Have any of you ever stood before the Lincoln Memorial? Have you had an opportunity to do that? Yeah, I have. And it's just, it is just majestic. It's, it's wonderful to stand there 
and, and, and just sort of soak in that part of our nation's history. So you've got this 90-foot thing. It's, it's, it's probably on a base if they're going to have proportions of, the, of, the, of a man. So you've got this 90-foot this tall thing, 9 feet wide, this image there that people are standing before. And the thing about it is that this is a memorial that Nebuchadnezzar constructed while he was alive to himself. And, and secondly, uh, he did it by himself to exalt himself. And uh, third, it was to become an object of worship, unlike the Lincoln Memorial. This is just the deepest form of idolatry, worship that is man-centered, not God-centered. And this comes hard for us because God rejects worship that is centered on our needs. Let me repeat that. God rejects worship that is centered on our needs. Okay? He accepts worship that is centered on his glory. When we love him for his sake, rather than for what we get out of it, we give him pleasure. Now, the image is near the furnace. Not too far away, probably there's smoke billowing up from this large opening at the top with a door or a window near the bottom where fuel could be added, but also through which people could see into the furnace. This would have been where the, probably where the statue was smelted, put together, built, constructed, whatever. And if you look at the arrangement of the uh, arrangements of the magnificent trappings, this is an amazing worship. You've got choirs, you've got pageantry, you've got the costumes, you've got the orchestra. So, hey, you know, some people gauge a church by its music, <laughs> so, or worship by music. Okay, you've got the music. They've definitely have got the music here. But because their hearts are not right, God says it's blasphemous. The issue is not how I want to worship God. The issue is how God wants to be worshipped. God, uh, John uh, 4, verse 23, But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. So, this is false, idolatrous worship. But it seems to be set up like this. First, the administrators of the kingdom in various levels of administration will fall down and, and bow down before the image. So the rulers of the kingdom are the first to bow down. After them, the Chaldeans bow down. The Chaldeans are the, the, the wise men uh, in, in, in the Persian Babylonian, Medio Babylonian Empire. So they're the wise men. Remember the wise men from the East in the New Testament. So that was the second group. But this group, the Chaldean wise men, hated Daniel and hated his three friends because they'd been shown up by them a number of times. So uh, here you have the, the rulers bow down, the administrators of the kingdom, after them the Chaldeans, and then after them all the people would bow down before the image. But it began with the rulers, and among the rulers were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the command was given, the music sounded, the orchestra played, and everyone else went down on their faces, prostrate before the image, except the three Hebrews. And the Chaldeans, who were next to bow, looked at the three Hebrew boys, men, and said, yes, we finally got them. And they are the ones who take this complaint, this accusation. Look at verse 8. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges 
against the Jews. The, 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 the translation brought charges against is very lame, actually. I don't know how your versions render it, but literally, it, it, here's what it means. To eat the pieces of flesh torn off of someone's body. You got it? This is no mild accusation. This is brutal, vivid slander. They are frothing at the mouth to get revenge on these men. You can just sense the glee that they feel. Look at verse 12. Do you sense the glee? Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon. Namely, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have disregarded you, not served your gods. They don't, don't worship the golden image which you have set up. But Exodus 20 is very clear. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness which is in heaven above or in earth beneath, the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am your God. Now, would you think this issue was worth dying for? They did. Question, how real is God to you? How real is he to you? What price would you put on your spiritual integrity? Would you be willing to die for it? Would you be willing to lose a job for it? Would you be willing to lose a friendship for it? Matthew 10, 28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy, to destroy both body and soul in hell. I mentioned Dunkirk, um, which I have, not, I have not seen that movie. Hope it's good. Another movie I have not seen, this is movie day, uh, is soon to be released, is the story of Cassie Bernal. She was a teenager in Colorado at Columbine High School. And the name of the book is She Said Yes, The Unlikely Martyrdom of Cassie Bernal. And the reason why it's unlikely is Cassie Bernal was a 17-year-old girl who, when the rampage took place inside her school and people were being asked whether or not they were Christians, she was asked, are you a Christian? Do you follow Christ? She knew that if she said yes, she would be killed. What's in, what's interesting is that she had lived a life filled with horrible years of rebellion against the Lord and had only recently recommitted her life or committed her life to Jesus Christ and had been following him for just a few weeks as I understand the story but she said yes and she was murdered now God could have protected her in a different way. He could have made the gun misfire. That happens. But instead we have a story. That became a book. And is now about to come out as a movie. That has challenged thousands of teenagers. In their commitment to Jesus Christ. Remember the story of Jim Elliot. The missionary martyr. Who was killed by the Alka Indians in 1956. If Jim Elliot had lived. I doubt that his life would have ever had the impact. That his death had. Thousands of people came to Christ as a result of Jim Elliot's testimony. One of the most famous statements from his diary was this. He is no fool 
who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So how do you become that kind of person who says, yes, this is worth taking a stand for. This is worth losing a job for. This is worth worth losing a friendship for. This is worth dying for. How do you become the kind of person that has that level of spiritual integrity? Do you do it all at once? All, all, all you know, immediately? Does it? No, with Daniel and his friends, this was a 20-year-plus journey to get to this point. They had made that commitment when they were younger. But here's the deal. It's never too late to begin that journey. So, back to our text. Even though Nebuchadnezzar is furious, he's angry, it says a lot about the esteem with which, in which he held Daniel's three friends, that he was willing to give them another chance. The ceremony can begin again. I've been repeating things. We've been repeating things. We've been repeating things. So just in case you didn't get it, I'm going to repeat it again. Nebuchadnezzar says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, the music's going to sound and so forth. And you're going to bow down and worship. Now look at uh, verse, verse 16. Uh, well, well, verse 15 says, what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. We don't have to think about this. We don't have to, yeah, we're not going to do it. This is our stand. We don't need to rethink the stand that we are taking. This is our commitment. Our God is able to protect us, but even if he chooses not to to protect us in the furnace. He is still our God and we will still worship and serve him and him alone. So he gives them a second chance and they say, there's no point. And when they say the three words, but if not. Make sure you get this, but if not. Their uncertainty is not about God's power. Their uncertainty is about God's will. Um, they knew that he could rescue them. They just didn't know whether or not it was his will to do so. If, if, you, if you have your bulletin, take a look at the very back page. Do you see where it says, This Week D.V.? Do you see the headline, This Week D.V.? Have you ever wondered about the D.V. there? From two Latin words, Deo Valente. You know what those words mean? God willing. All right? If the Lord wills. This week, these are the plans. Deo Valente. If the Lord wills. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are simply stating that contrary to Nebuchadnezzar's point of view, he was not in control of their lives. God is in control of their lives. And I believe this is a very important point. There are some teachings within the church where people insist you have to positively confess God's will about something. And if you admit any doubt about God's will, your lack of faith cancels the possible miracle. So if I pray, Lord, I ask you to heal Frank from his cancer. And Lord, you know all things, Frank is yours, your will be done. See, if I add that to it, that exposes a lack of faith and Frank will not be healed. 
likely. That's, that's sort of the attitude behind that teaching. But this view is wrong. That places God's will as hostage to our will and our faith. And it goes against any pattern found in the Bible. Jesus prayed in the garden that this cup would pass from me. And then he added these words, what? But not my will, but thine be done. In James 4, we read, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. <laughs> Very clear. What, what, is that a lack of faith? No, what it's saying is God's sovereign. It is faith. Lord, I don't presume to know what your will is, but I know your power. Your power can do anything that you decide. Yeah, so these verses, 17 and 18, draw a clear distinction between God's power and God's will. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are saying, God's power, it's there. God's will, we don't know, but we're his. And we trust his will, no matter what comes to us. So, when my sister was dying this past year, we were praying for the miracle. We wanted the miracle. She wanted the miracle. But even more, she wanted to glorify God, whether by life or by death. And she did. It's one thing for me to affirm God's omnipotence in a Sunday school class, but I tell you what, it's another thing to look at certain death and say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job 13. This is just not theoretical theology. This is faith in the crucible. It's not blind faith. It's recognizing that the reality that sometimes God works differently in different circumstances, but he is still God, no matter whether or not we recognize the pattern of those circumstances. We trust him to be the God of the universe. So their lack of knowledge of God's will did not diminish God's power. Is that clear? Okay. So, in fact, I, I think they expected to die. Since we're at the movies today a little bit, I like the statement by John Wayne, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. Hebrews 13.6 was written to Christians who were undergoing persecution. And it quotes Psalm 118. Quote, we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Well, they might kill you. And the attitude of Scripture is, yeah, but what else you got? That's it? You mean to usher me into the immediate presence of Jesus where faith becomes side? And here I am standing before the one being in all of the universe who loved me so much he'd rather die than live without me? You mean being with him? That's, what, that's what's bad? That's the worst you could do? That's the attitude here. Okay, look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. Uh, one translation renders it more literally. He was livid with utter rage. I'm not sure how you make a furnace seven times hotter. How do you do that? I, I imagine that was his rage speaking. That was his command. Like when you say to the child, 
you're grounded until you're 35? Because, you know, one person said, there is no fool like a man who's lost his temper. Because if he wanted to increase their torment, now listen, if he'd wanted to increase their torment, if that's what his purpose was, he should have cooled the furnace seven times. Right? Well, no one said that sin was rational. So, at any rate, we, the three men were thrown into the furnace. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. The Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste and said to his high officials, didn't we throw in three? Weren't there three in there? <laughs> and then verse 25, look, I see four men loosed, walking about. And one, the fourth one, is like a son of the gods. Something about his appearance is different from the appearance of the other three. So you have to understand that. So this man, this individual looks different. Who is this fourth person? It may refer to an angel in Daniel 6. An angel was uh, the one who delivered Daniel from the lion's den. Uh, I tend to think it's, it's, it's a pre-incarnate uh, manifestation of Jesus showing up. Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ appears often in the Old Testament when the phrase the angel, definite article, the angel of the Lord uh, appears often in the Old Testament. The burning bush, the flame of fire in, Gen in Gen Judges 13, many other places. So regardless of whoever Nebuchadnezzar thought it was, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it were another, if it were a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Jesus Christ with the three uh, men. Scripture, what's interesting is Scripture is entirely silent about who it is. There's, do you see the restraint here? You read this and there's... And it, we see it through the lens of the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar, not through the eyes of Scripture, except as Scripture records it. So Neb, I, what I can see, I, I hope it's not blasphemous to say, I wonder if, if the Lord is just kind of grinning here. I mean, if he here's the story, here's what he saw, and Scripture is entirely silent about who this is. Uh, let, the tori, let the story tell itself. No word of revelation about who it was. No explanation about who it was. Just maybe a grin. Because Jesus will show up explicitly later. Well, look at verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near the door. He responded and said, Shagarat, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. I wonder if he was, did not want the fourth person to come out. Because he's very specific on the three names. The three of you, he didn't say, everybody out. <laughs> he just... No, the three don't don't really want to face that fourth person. So, uh, at any rate, he, uh, here, here's the thing: they come out, and there's no effect on them at all. They don't even smell like they've been to a fire sale. When God delivers, He delivers completely. The only thing that they lost were the ropes that bound them. Uh, and when God saved you, He saved you completely. He didn't save you partially. He saved you totally. Now, the vindication of these three men is in verses 28 through 30. As far as Nebuchadnezzar is concerned, his day did not go the way he had planned it when he got up that morning. It went a little bit differently. The celebration that began never continued, never uh, finished. But here's what I want you to know, notice in verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered. 
Look at verse 15. Last phrase in verse 15. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? That question is now answered. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the one true God, the one who is the king of kings and Lord of lords. What do we take away from this? Just a few thoughts. First of all, God's public reputation is connected with the obedience of his children. God's public reputation is connected with the obedience of his children. We're to be faithful to him and to trust him, even when we don't know the outcome. You remember in Acts chapter 12, James and Peter were both put in jail at about the same time. James was executed, brother of John. He was executed, beheaded. Peter was miraculously released through the agency of an angel whom God sent. Why the difference? Peter rescued, James executed. God had his purposes. And scripture is very clear. We may not know his will, but we do know his power. Second thing to take away is that God, we're to never underestimate the power of God to intervene. My father had a brain tumor 33 years ago. Um, We prayed and prayed and prayed that God would remove it. They got in to his head, opened it up. And the surgeon came back to us early before the surgery was, two hours before the surgery was supposed to be over. And said, I... I've heard of things like this. I've never seen it before. There was a cavity where the tumor was, but there was no tumor. And you know, one of the men, of one of dad's friends said, you know, you ought to sue that doctor. And dad said, we prayed for this to be removed. He removed it. We're going to sue the doctor. <laughs> I mean, why didn't the doctor say just one more scan? Uh, okay. But as a result of that, My heart was tender when I had said no before to some businessmen who wanted to start a Bible teaching church on Signal Mountain. And I had said no to them when they came back to me eight months later after I'd gone through the recovery process helping dad. My heart was tender. And when they came back eight months later, I said yes. And that was God's work working on my heart so that Signal Mountain Bible Church started. So here we are. Here in in Spring City. Never underestimate the power of God to intervene. So we don't know his will, but we do know his power. He has said, I am with you and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. Now. The centuries passed, the Jews going to close with this. They remained faithful to God in the sense that they did not worship idols anymore they didn't worship any idols with the babylonians they didn't worship idols with the medo-persians they didn't worship idols with the greeks until we get to the first century with rome and there they were still waiting on the messiah to come and deliver them from the romans with a military and political deliverance not with a spiritual deliverance and the king of kings showed up as was prophesied by zechariah And the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the holy city. And he was hailed as the king of the Jews. But Jesus knew their hearts. He wept over Jerusalem. And it didn't take long before the people of the king betrayed their king. And very shortly, they're going to make this statement. 
We have no king but Caesar. But one day. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no other image before whom we bow and he is forming his image in us. Lord, we thank you for this meditation in your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to become the kind of people who revel in your power and rest in your plan and are faithful to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.